vodka. I'm trying to think. I think it's Paul, right? Who says don't have drunkenness. Not in drunkenness. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Who says, though, do not be drunk with strong drink? Is that Paul? I think it is Paul. But I think, is it in Timothy? Let me look it up. Or Titus. It actually is kind of interesting to think about this. I've never thought about this, but I don't know that there are that many scriptures about drunkenness per se like that's Ephesians like got the first one right Ephesians uh, 5.18 do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit Mm. yeah so (laughs) so what he's saying here is don't drink wine (laughs) drink spirits (laughs) (laughs) well and even there it's interesting because it's it's almost like good whiskey because it's almost like the danger of drunkenness like it's bad in and of itself but it it is what it leads to, like that. It, right, it leads right. to things, mm-hmm. and and that I think that's the point. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that like, like the state of drunkenness is the sin. Is like it's what it leads to. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of I, I don't personally my thought of like you know because there's the the whole the big question right now is legalizing marijuana. It's like oh, how mm-hmm. is that morally for a Christian? Mm-hmm. And I think it's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that. As drunkenness? Well, or? even being high. I don't uh-huh. think that state is sinful, but I think what that opens you up to as a believer is what is wrong. Yeah, the church teaches that using a mind-altering substance is well, that inherently would include, disordered. That would include alcohol as well, then. It doesn't because alcohol is a matter of degrees. You know, it's you, you can use it without using it to excess. Well, some people could argue you could do that with marijuana, too. I don't know. I've never done marijuana. I haven't either. So, no. <laughs> Are we speaking from experience, Luke? No, definitely not. <laughs> Want to share? <laughs> yeah. I'm a good well, law-abiding I mean, citizen. You could, and you could argue, I mean... I, I, I think the thing about it is, and this is where like gambling is actually the exact same thing, because mm-hmm. it's the teaching is that it's irrational. Yeah. It's a sin against reason to gamble. Right. And, 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 a sin against, and a drunkenness is a sin against reason, too. Like, things that deplete your reason mm. are is an attack on you mm-hmm. like who you are but like ayahuasca like, would be like a very prominent example what is that ayahuasca is the drink that people go to south america to take with like shaman rituals oh, um, like okay. if they have ptsd sometimes people oh. go crazy and oh, then wow. other times people they, go like they extended. have like almost like exorcist kind of experiences oh, wow. where they drink it and then they go into these like shaman they have to be like guided by a shaman through these visions and they puke and they um, go. You know what it sounds like to me? Sounds like moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story. The podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. Well, actually, you know what? Somebody told me, a lady who... Um, I was at the farmer's market recently, and this a natural farmer showed me these apples that are native Tennessee apples. Crab and apples? No, they're not crab apples. There it is a it is an apple that is an heirloom apple that is native to Tennessee, and it used to be in the 1800s when you uh, moved to, or if you were a, if you were a settler in Tennessee, you were legally required to plant X number of pear or apple trees because they would harvest the juice. And because some of the water wasn't potable. Oh, wow. And so if you didn't have potable water, you could make cider from your pears or apples. And that huh. was how you could survive if wow. you, your water supply ran out. 
Interesting. So these apple trees are all, all over Tennessee and <clears throat> I guess are being preserved somewhere else. What are they called? Uh, it's it's a name that starts with a B. It's not Bradford or huh. something, but it had had a name. I, I can't remember That's really what interesting. it is, but that was interesting. Yeah. When you think about uh, trees of life, yeah, the apple tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mm-hmm. that was an interesting you idea. You think Terrence Malick, <laughs> <laughs> which coincidentally is our episode today, <laughs> or maybe not coincidentally, That's right. <laughs> talking about the 2011 classic, classic. The Tree of Life. Masterpiece, Master- Luke, The Masterpiece. I'm not discounting that. I am. <laughs> I made the mistake of re-watching it the other night when I was very tired and I fell asleep for a majority of it because... <laughs> well, part of it's supposed to be a reverie of sorts. Yeah, you know, and it's anyone a fanta- who has seen it... It is a fantasia or a, a meditation on it is life. the opposite of a Marvel movie. Yeah, it's an intellectual massage. Yeah, yeah that, that is a very good description. <laughs> so much so that it massaged me than, to sleep. More than intellectual, though. There's something, there is something, like, I think, spiritual about this film Yeah, um, and in the deepest sense. I'm, I'm excited to dive into it. So there are a few elements, right? So Terrence Malick as a filmmaker, uh, for our listeners out there, is a really interesting person because he actually came, uh, first launched a career in the 70s with the film, was it Days of Heaven, his first one? Or did he have uh, one before Badlands. that? Badlands was first, and then mm-hmm. Days of Heaven. And was there a third, or was it just those two? He, I think I, it I think was it, just those I two. I think it was just those two films, and then he, he quit. Essentially, he quit making movies for, was it until Thin Red Line? Yeah, it was until the late 90s. Late yeah. 90s, like almost 20-year hiatus. Um, and what he did in the meantime is he got a doctorate in philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so and he's a, a bit of a recluse, like nobody sees him in Hollywood, they say, and he's just, Thank he, he keeps a Texas low profile. Yeah, you can't hardly find pictures of him. And, and so he does, you know, very interesting films. And we wanted to, to uh, in honor of the release of his newest film, which is about a um, conscientious objector pacifist from was that? Austria, Austria, right? Yeah. Austria World, during World War II. Um this is newest film. So anyway, we're we're excited about that coming out because I love a his hidden work. Hidden life, a yeah. hidden life. Um, but the Tree of Life, uh, being his one of his uh, more re- or recent films, is is really interesting. It, you know, the actress um, and considered to be probably his greatest film. I would say, yeah, critically, I think, I I think, think it's as a work of art, other than popular. Thin Red Line, which yeah. is the closest competitor. Um, I, I consider Tree of Life unique amongst. All film. I mean, I don't know of any other film made like it's made. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't. Can you think of one? No, I mean, it, it even even his other films. I mean, he he has a technique. Malik mm-hmm. does of how he tells his stories, but I think Tree of Life. It's kind of like a novelist, you know, like mm-hmm. they find the story that just captures their spirit the mm-hmm. most, and and that's the novel everyone remembers. And Tree I, of Life is kind of Malik's. I'm intrigued by um, opus. some things around the movie. Um, Jessica Chastain, who was the leading uh, female role, she says that in making the film, that she actually had a sort of a reawakening of faith hmm. as, as um, being like shepherded by Malik in making the film. That the script actually reads like a poem. Interesting. It's not like a normal movie script. So it's 
just the way he went about making this film is totally different than, you know, the way movies are normally made. And I even think I heard her say at one point that she mourned the fact that he had edited the film to be basically a, a visual poem. Mm. and had cut almost all of the dialogue mm. because they had recorded what he had written. Mm. But it was so, uh, I guess, Malik being... Verbose or... Well, well Malik being a, a, a visual director, a visual storyteller as much as a writer, mm-hmm. basically said that the film needed to be a film and his writing just had to fall by the wayside. So she said that one day it mm. really should be published. His, he needs to his make poem. the like, Tree of Life audio. And to use the soundtrack, <laughs> which one of the things about this film is the soundtrack yeah. is yeah. incredible. Yeah. Right. Well, and and the special effects too. And and Luke, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Just how exactly y- you think that they actually did. Like, um, you know, there's some of the nebula that you see during the creation sequences. Mm-hmm. And he found a way to take these Hubble space telescope images. And, and it's the original images. Like, I can tell it's not... Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they had some kind of a 3D-ization of the Hubble space scope, but he's able to take the camera into, into the nebulas and, mm-hmm. and things. Um, and, I'm sure and, it and was, what's yeah. fac- what's, what's fascinating about it is those really exist. Like, well, yeah. He wasn't yeah. just creating things. They weren't just well, like... Well, NASA has ways of... of um, the cameras, you don't see this visually, but I think they have layers in the images that actually have depth information. As far as the distances hmm. of things, so I've want, I wondered if he got his like three D artists together with Hubble people or NASA folks who could basically translate that information into the three D mm. right film. Well, and at, that's actually how, well, kind of how um, Christopher Nolan did the the black hole in Inception. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, he yeah. actually instead of going right to a, a VFX artist or a you know studio house and saying, just make this for me. Mm-hmm. He actually went to astrophysicists and uh-huh. had them take the math of a black hole mm. and like the science of a black hole and create a render engine or create this, this rendering mm. of the math. Mm. And more or less, that image just kind of popped out wow. of that, yeah, yeah. which wow. is, I mean, it, it's not that simple, but right, like right. they kind of and put all the And that's the image of the it. light, right? Yes. Like, and like, it's just like, yeah. In case. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not sure if, if Terrence Malick did something quite that. Uh, well, and the math of black holes gets so weird because you get into like right. extra dimensionality. Right. And but the functions. fact that he yeah. did that is just amazing. Yeah, and that, yeah. and that mm-hmm. actually NASA and these uh, scientists sometimes actually reference that movie because to the best of our knowledge, because we've never been actually able to actually capture one. The lesson, the moral of that story is that Hollywood has better computers than NASA. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, and, you know, they actually reference it because it's like, to the best of our knowledge, this is Mm -hmm. probably what a black hole would look like. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, it wasn't a black hole. Exactly. If there was actually any light. Um, So I don't know if I, I probably doubt that Terrence Malick, went to that extreme, but I'm sure he, he and his team very meticulously recreated these images. Well, he spent, I think, I think I heard six years just on the creation scenes. Yeah. That would make sense. Just that sequence. Well, it got, it got, the release got rescheduled at least, I think three times. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, Because originally I think it came out in 2011. 
I think or, maybe originally it was supposed to come out in 08 mm-hmm. and then it was pushed to 09 mm-hmm. and then 010 eventually. Maybe well, it wasn't and, that many and times, in the but. Criterion collection version that I uh, rewatched part of, uh, there's a version with 50 extra minutes. So oh, wow. there's a huge oh, amount. Word. It's already he, two hours and f- yeah, 40 minutes over, long. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's a And a lot of that is film. the creation stuff i think they didn't I, I add think, a lot of I, that well in he there. did a whole other thing called the voyage of time i think oh, and yeah. it was and it was nothing but the creation stuff mm-hmm. turned into like a what what's like a nova like oh like here nova. is the star oh, yeah. <laughs> or whatever voyage. he was going after a pbs yeah he was going through a pbs special but uh <laughs> yeah. i think he released it in theaters but I, I'm, mm. I'm sorry i missed it it would have yeah. been great that's to see interesting. on a big screen what's funny to me about the film watching it is the first time I saw it, you're not really sure what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Very much right? so, you're, yeah. you're kind of having to figure it out as you go. And the second time uh, that I was watching it, um, it, it occurred to me just how coherent the film is thematically. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it obviously it starts out with the, the very little plot that there is, which yeah. is... Mm-hmm you know, the brother of right. Sean Penn has died. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the parents hear about the death and they go through that period of grief and he's just showing you snapshots of their very believable, mm-hmm. grief-stricken right. period of their life. Mm-hmm. And then basically poses the question, which which it opens with the quote from Job, right? Yeah. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Yeah. Um, and the sons of God shouted for joy. And that scripture, I think, kind of sums up the whole movie, yeah, basically. I, think so. I mean, it's yeah. like, it. the whole movie is a meditation on that scripture. Mm-hmm. So you see the family in a state of grief, and then it moves to Sean Penn in the future. And, and these shots I was kind of amazed by, because seeing them again, the way he's constantly moving the camera up, yeah. Just upward, yeah. upward, upward, mm-hmm. all the time, yeah, like yeah. cathedral shots of high rises and everything. And it's always light, right? right. Looking up to the light. and Almost and, to an annoying point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just constantly. And then he, uh, and then of course he, I think Sean Penn or the mother, uh, played by Jessica Chastain, says, where were you when my son died? And then it literally <laughs> takes the Job scripture Mm-hmm. as concretely as possible and goes yeah. back to what would it have been to have been there at the Earth's foundations. Mm-hmm. And and even the the more evolutionary parts, I, I thought it was interesting seeing the way that the DNA helixes, double mm-hmm. helixes start to build and things. And there's... Uh, there's I, I, definitely I think the, a visualization of mode, motion, motive. Right, motion, motive like creative it, power yeah. and, and however you want to think about yeah. that. But... So yeah, he's not thinking, taking like an atheistic kind of a yeah, yeah he's not sure. taking an atheistic well even thing, the music but, but during the, the creation is yeah. from a mass yeah you know and they use the lacrimosa which is the the song of sorrow the yeah. lament um from and, a and mass that, for the dead and that juxtaposition of the song of sorrow mm-hmm. and then the joy of New life, life the sadness yeah. and the life juxtaposing mm-hmm. um and then i was the section I was really blown away by was when he gets to, cause he goes to infancy, right? The mm-hmm. birth of the child. And there's that sequence that's so that shot strange is where, where the boy gets out of the watery house mm-hmm. and that's him before his birth. Mm-hmm. And that's, and again, he's just literalizing the song where it says in the unknown 
uh, you were formed yeah. in the in the depths of the earth. Yeah, which yeah. I really didn't and get. I did. I I had forgotten about that from my first time I watched it, mm-hmm. and then it it clicked the second time. I was like, oh, that's. Well, what I just that remember is. that visual of like the light. You yeah, know, oh, the flame. Like constant, is that well, what that is? It's like he's in the birth canal. Yeah, it's like constant before he comes birth, out. Oh, know? is that what that's supposed to be? Like I, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, that's oh, what okay. I thought it was. You too. know, like there's this, yeah. just this kind of light. But it shows up, up multiple but. times. I think it's just a motif. It's like okay. a theme that comes okay. back, like the Got theme it. of birth or Got rebirth. It. But but this shot where the kid is in the water house yeah. underwater mm-hmm. and he breaks free right. and then he's born. And um, I mean, it's actually. Almost like 2001 A Space Odyssey, but done beautifully in a way. I actually was, it's interesting you say that because there were, there were some things about it that kind of brought me back to that uh, in, you know, an interesting way. So yeah, it's interesting. And, but I think the juxtaposition is 2001 is a very like humanist evolutionary. It's almost from the opposite. It's like, it's it's, the opposite angle. He's taking the same approach film wise Mm -hmm. and applying it to more of a Christian thing. Right. Exactly. But, um, but, and then you get to the childhood sequences with, uh, is it Smetna that's playing? The mold out. Yeah. And, and, uh, that editing with the kids running and playing. It's just beautiful. Yeah. But, um, I, I, Sorry, I, I keep singing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this episode is scored by uh, Alex. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll just keep singing back up. Yeah. Um, but but it is it is beautiful and and the whole image of of that piece that piece the string lines and everything were were written by Smetna to to elicit the feeling of the Moldau River in Europe and that's such a beautiful image of the whole film. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like the river of life as as all these ways come in and out and interweave. And um, one of the things I think is interesting, going back to Malik's roots as a philosopher, um, is that the tree of life um, obviously goes back to the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. you know, and perfection and, and what mankind was intended for. Um, but there's also the, the um, Jewish tree of life from the Ten Sephiro in the Kabbalah, which is very commonly studied in kind of mystic philosophy and those things. So in that, uh, there are three pillars of the Sephirotic tree. And it's interesting to me because that tree looks a lot like a DNA double helix flattened out hmm. when you see how they connect and everything else. And basically each of the, the Sephiro there are 10 of them and the 10 are like these immutable laws, you know, which kind of mirrors like the 10 commandments. Um, but the Sephiro all come from, uh, and they represent different letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, but there's the two pillars on the either side are the pillars of justice and of mercy. Hmm. And one of them is the is considered the masculine impulse, and the other is considered the feminine impulse. And then there's this center balanced pillar right. in the middle. And so, in some ways, the film is a dramatization of these aspects of life. And mm-hmm. so, Jessica Chastain, the mother, is the the mercy, the pillar of mercy, and Brad Pitt is the pillar of, of justice and of 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 the anger and the, the masculine Except impulse. Except he's not very just. He's well, he's not very just. Abusive, but, yeah. well, he is. But but I think it's also, he, he works, I would say, yeah, obviously he has a lot of, he also, I guess he, I agree with you, he is abusive. 
in some ways, but he also goes to some lengths to humanize him mm-hmm. with the, yeah. the whole organ yeah. subplot of like his, his fact he's an engineer and he's, he has this pent up desire to like do something amazing and do something great. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has his music and all this other stuff, but he basically buries all of that in his harshness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of trying they, to demand something yeah, out of his really, sons. He doesn't you know? really, uh, pose him as a villain per se no he's, he humanizes he's, him a lot even though you know and he, in some ways he does portray him as a loving father but just maybe not doing the right things and yeah he's, he's the a, kind of father a lot of people had right yeah in the 50s, i think so yeah, yeah, yeah like, i think yeah. so well and brad pitt does such an amazing job oh, I know. He does. Yeah. with that that jaw that yeah. well and even jaw that he has yeah well and, and but and to me the the as far as whether or not he's a villain or or not in the film his response when the son dies mm-hmm. is actually heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, you, you can, you see it in that, like he really does love his children. Right. He and just, well, and even when he asks but his, his young, son, his anger yeah. stuff really is when he's younger. It's, yeah. He has all this career hope that he's built up and then yeah. they have all these struggles and stuff. And you can see he's like working through this, you know, wrestling with the death of dreams and his place as a father in the home, and anyway, all of that. And to me, that it's a it's a very complex character. And this is where the film becomes a true masterpiece. Is just these scenes that they'll do that, and I guess Malik just has the actors improvise it in the moment a lot of times. But um, the scene where the boy is told by Brad Pitt to, "Are you forgetting something?" Yeah. You know, and come and give me a hug, and then do you mm-hmm. love your dad, and yeah, and, yeah. And it's stuff that you have you've seen like yeah. that, that really does happen. Well, and it's he like, does it's, that. And, and all the subtext is there. Then he also makes some teachers, teaches him how to throw a punch. Yeah. He makes right. him come out and say, hit me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's like something now nobody does because it's, you know, but, but there, but again, that the wrath and mercy. Yeah. That's yeah. very much what he was trying. Yeah. To it's that, Absolutely. it's that wrath. Yeah, mm-hmm. on this one side, and then the mercy of of the mother's grace and law. He also in the dialogue in the poems that they read, uh, Chastain talks about law and grace, mm-hmm. or the law of nature. Yeah, nature the, and grace. The law yeah. of nature and the law of grace, and that's the other juxtaposition that their two characters are in the lives right. of these sons. And of course, all the way through this, you have the weaving of the afterlife sequence, which to me is interesting because. Obviously, Sean Penn is kind of the main protagonist of that, and I think Chastain to some extent. But Sean Penn, through a good part of the film, he was wandering through this purgatory desert, basically, mm-hmm. where he's, you know, trying to find his brother because his brother keeps saying, you know, find me. And to me, that was fascinating because it's such that's such a powerful image in the mm. Bible of the desert, mm-hmm. you know, um, like the wandering of the of the twelve tribes in Numbers, mm-hmm. you know, where they're confronting the giants and 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 it's this period of purification and um, the 40, 40 years in the desert and that image of him searching for what is family. Right, he's like searching he's, for he's his alone. mother. Yeah. He's searching for his mother, mm-hmm. and then you have the Marian figure, you know, mm-hmm. who's, you know, helping uh, her pray, help, at the helping end. Yeah. the the prayers of Jessica Chastain, mm-hmm. and and uh, kind of nurturing all of the people in the afterlife. Last and, time I watched it, I, I I'm 
it made a grown man cry. I mean, I, I, it really, <laughs> yeah. it, it is to me so moving mm-hmm. when you've been through all of this and you've been through all of the turmoil. Yeah. And they're that, that, well, cause, and I life, think what it, that, that mother image shows is, you know, God brings healing mm-hmm. to all of those situations that all these things that, because, you know, every family has those things, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you think about your nuclear family and then your extended family and you just go on and on and on mm-hmm. and you can think of so many situations that are just grief mm-hmm. situations, um, which is what the film is about. It's about that, you know, the best of us, the brother, he died. Why did he die? Like mm-hmm. he was the best one. Mm-hmm. And why is life like that, that mm-hmm. the best one would die? Um, yeah. Well, and I think part of what makes this film so powerful is that Malik is dealing in, in, in a, almost in metaphysics in film, in that everything we're t- we're le- dealing with this story that is like universals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the tree of life because it is literally some you can connect with everything in it. Oh yeah, on some level or yeah. another. Yeah, like, everybody very, has lived. Everybody yeah. lived it. This. It's yeah. very. It's it's posed in a very artistic way but it is like the most real mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. like it's yeah it's there's nothing you know i i think back to other movies we've discussed and there's elements of reality based in them but like everything even from the way it's shot mm-hmm. you know and the way it's edited mm-hmm. there it's just you feel everything yeah because there's a good chance you've probably experienced something mm-hmm. if not everything of what is taking place. Mm-hmm. Right. And even the way you're seeing it, mm. it's shot more in a documentary mm-hmm. slash, you know, natural, natural light. Yeah. Uh-huh. way. Yeah. And it just, you feel it. Mm-hmm. You right. Know? Well, and you think about, I mean, we've all, we all remember times when we were kids and you would see a bully or you would see some situation right. that was not, not good with kids. Um, the sequence that I remember seeing it and thinking was so amazing was the sequence that's kind of, I guess, the sexual awakening or like the, yeah. or the sinful awakening the where he sneaks house. into yeah. the neighbor's house and is ruffling through her stuff. And and it's funny because in a way you think that's like that's a serious infraction in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. But it's also like not a serious infraction in another right. way. Like it's it's serious, but it's not serious at the same time compared right. to a lot of evil that you see on screen. Yeah. But Malik makes you feel just the weight of right. transgression. Oh, that yeah. moment. The yeah. transgression of that. Well, it's that awakening of adulthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody has gone through that. Right. And some love and that's why it's it's so brilliant. You know? Yeah. And, right. and and I guess as And that in the awakening film, and, and, and this is the thing to mm-hmm. me that he captures and and this actually is I think kind of the hidden meaning of the Eden story, the story, you know, the knowledge of good mm-hmm. and evil is that in the awakening of knowledge is simultaneously the awakening of guilt, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That knowledge and guilt are yeah. in, inextricably connected with us. Mm-hmm. And and yet there's a sense of redemption mm-hmm. that hangs on the other side of that, yeah. mm-hmm. that everybody senses. And and you can imagine what it would have been like in paradise with Adam and Eve to have knowledge without guilt, right? You could imagine that, that there mm-hmm. could have been a kind of knowing that would have emerged without the sin of it. Mm-hmm. But for us, the tragedy is the more you know, the more nature there is. Yeah. Uh, a man of the world is never innocent. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's true. And th- let's ask this question because 
obviously we are all fans of this film and there's a lot of I guess the thing one of the things I admire in it so much is that it is such a beautiful telling of so many truths it just it just is full of truth and what you're, you're talking about the reality in it um T.S. Eliot has a line that says man cannot bear very much reality you know mm-hmm. that's that's really true yeah um and that's one of the things that makes it so poignant um can we, let's discuss that a little bit like mm-hmm. how how does Malik make his film have so much power well I think it goes back to a concept that um, Dorothy Sayers talked about in, I think it was her introduction to Dante's Divine Comedy, which another, actually, actually Malick's film to me owes a lot to, uh, some to Dante, but it owes a lot to St. Augustine. Like if you think about uh, Augustine's confessions and kind of the tone of St. Augustine's really true. Con- confessions. Actually, yeah. Um, like, um, there's a, a one famous quote from the confessions, like, late have I loved thee, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. O beauty, you know. and Living like the and, little soliloquy on memory. Right, and, and a That's lot of the mal- lines... Sounds a lot like uh, that. And it's, it's just beautiful writing, like when Jessica Chastain is saying, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bungle it, but she says... Um, uh, she Well, she quotes 1 Corinthians 13, but it's like a retelling of it. Mm-hmm. And then... There's another part where she's saying, um, you know, when did I learn to love mm. God, basically, talking yeah. to God. And it's very Augustinian mm. in, in just the cadence of it, like, because mm. c- there's this Augustinian, mm. like, fall of rhythm yeah, yeah. in the words. Yeah. But, um, but, you, uh, but Dorothy Sayers, in her introduction, she talks about this idea of natural symbols. Mm. And she says, you know, like the flag of England has a meaning that's a code that people attributed to it. So, oh, this crest means this, and this mm-hmm. color means that. And But that when you look at a lion, everyone's always looked at a lion and thought royalty mm-hmm. or kingship. Mm-hmm. And so there's something encoded into the character of a lion that has that quality. And and I think archetypes, you know, it's a similar idea, mm-hmm. but, but these natural symbols, all Malik does is find natural symbols Mm -hmm. like the Mm. and and in some ways it's to me when roger ebert said it was maybe the greatest movie ever made Mm -hmm. it it wasn't hyperbole in the sense that it does what only a film can do best right which is show that visual symbol which in is action again yeah. right this has this is actually ties back a couple of weeks ago we were talking about propaganda and messages in art back mm-hmm. when we were talking about disney yeah. right disney is probably the antithesis of the tree of life yeah. <laughs> movie um in the in principles but you you take this film is a film that has all this message and truth and yet it is the pinnacle of its art form yeah on a craft level a storytelling level and the pinnacle of message of truth in a film. Um, and so it avoids being propaganda right. of any kind right. mm-hmm. through this, through the, the height that it achieves, mm-hmm. which is why it is so amazing right. as an and achievement. Because, and I think it's because, you know, truth is truth. Mm-hmm. You know, you, even for someone 
which I, I don't know, we were talking about this before. Is is he a Christian? It's, it's very of, unknown. So I've, I've tried to dig into it, but it's I, he's very private about so, it. So I don't, I don't really know. A couple know. thoughts you know? on that. I, I don't I've, know. I've never been one, able to One, it it's like, one is truth is truth. Mm-hmm. And even for an unbeliever, those truths are still weighty mm-hmm. and they're real. And so like you can have, like you were saying, a movie that is just at the height of its genre and thought because it's truth. And even for people who do not believe per se in God mm-hmm. or, you know, they still are able to connect with that truth because mm-hmm. it's truth. Right. And it, right. it, you know, it exists outside of what they believe right. because mm-hmm. it's truth. But right. it's also not just didactic. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. It's not just, I'm, I'm going to teach well, you a lesson. And, and, and yeah. And that's the, it's the, showing to me, you. the thing that is so amazing about the film because, uh, well, like a good example of this in the Old Testament, and you see this in the life of Christ, um, there was this uh, thing that it, where they would, the prophets would preach and prophesy through actions. Mm-hmm. Right. So God would say, you know, sleep on your side, Ezekiel, for right. this many days. Yeah. Because that's, however many days you do this is however many years yeah. Israel yeah. will be in exile or something. You know, it's right. like these, right. it's like action prophecies. Visceral language. And, and yeah. Jesus driving out the money changers mm-hmm. and like, uh, or the cursing the fig tree, or there's things that he did that mm-hmm. were enacted prophecy. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of what Malik does is just create these moments of action that... Like the parallel, tell that, the story better. Yeah, you know? the parallel that hits me is the this the scenes following when the letter comes about their son who died at the war in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and then have, there's all these scenes of just no talking. Yeah, you know they have all these shots, and it and it literally is like watching the idea of the uh, groans that words cannot express, yeah. mm-hmm. that the Holy Spirit speaks mm-hmm. in groans that words cannot express, because how can you how much less powerful would it be if you had them saying like, honey, he died uh, or, or trying to, right. trying to explain it's, it's real. it. In, yeah. You're just because watching, you're not it's like, I'm watching these people. Yeah. If that actually happens. Right. Just in a, yeah. in a absolutely, you know, horrible situation, I'm watching their grief. And, I mean, and in real great, life, there's silence there. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. you're not going to be. What can you say? Exactly. Which yeah. is another way that I think, and for those of you who haven't seen it, first off, you should see it. But, there's like very little dialogue mm-hmm. between these characters. And which, some people really, really rip this movie. Like they say- For that reason? Well, yeah, they'll say, this movie has no plot. And it's, okay, and, yeah. and, and honestly, well, I think they're all- Well, that means it just went right over their heads. I, I know, I think- uh, <laughs> Well, because actually the film, and this is what amazed me at the second viewing was, it's not hard to follow when you just- follow the theme, right? Mm-hmm. That each section has a theme. Yeah. yeah. And if you just followed the theme, then... Well, it's, I will it's say actually, it's much easier to follow the second viewing. The first viewing, it is yeah. a little Well, if you have... Well, there's think, a little bit of mystery in it. Yeah. That you're yeah. like, oh, what, what's, who is he and what and is he you're just trying to figure out and, what's going on because yeah, at first you're just yeah. like, uh... Yeah. Oh, okay. But, but oh, if now you we're, have... Now we have creation? Oh, well, well what's going that, on here? But that's also part of what it means to... A real artist does that to people. Makes them question. And, well, it makes yeah. you say like, well, what am I seeing? But it's also you know? in real life. Like we don't, we're figuring out life. Uh-huh. So yeah. in the same way, you're trying to figure out what is going on. I, I have a question. Do you think it's possible? I mean, yes, I know he has a doctorate in philosophy, but do you think it's, do you think it's possible for 
I don't, I, I think it would hard to believe that he would be an atheist, but do you think it's possible for a non-believer to make a movie like this? I don't see how you make this movie outside of Judeo-Christian categories. I would agree. Because it's so obviously right. the afterlife. And honestly, it's a little Catholic, like yeah. mm-hmm. the Mary figure. Well, aren't they the Catholic purgatorial? In the movie? Like they are yes, Catholic. They are, in the movie. They are yeah. Catholic in the movie. The purgatorial yeah. desert. Right. The sea mm-hmm. desert that is heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Where everybody's mm-hmm. gathered. But yeah. it's also like the antechamber to heaven because yeah. there's the mountains in the distance. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like it's all these images that you would get if you had right. read scripture or Dante. Yeah. Or, the thing that I this the the moment in the film that just pierces me is when um when they're in that heavenly desert and she's mm-hmm. kneeling praying as she's been through the whole film mm-hmm. you know and there's she's doing this kind of like a dance where you, there's just this figure behind her and it became clear to me on my i think my second or third viewing that it was mary you know, mm-hmm. helping her pray mm-hmm. you know that she was there guiding her arms you know mm-hmm. um because mary is our example of the first believer she was the first one that gave the perfect prayer of, of acceptance to God saying, may it be with me as you have said, mm-hmm. you know, and that's at, at the end of it, that is what this film is about. In that sense, I, and you know, Roger Ebert was not the most spiritual of people, um, but, uh, but in his review of this film, he talks about, he had a line where he said that the film was the most true mm-hmm. or like real film about life itself like yeah. the scope of life itself the arc of life itself mm-hmm. and that's and that's what i think what you sense watching it yeah. is that this is our life mm-hmm. like what we're seeing it and it's not because we get stuck in moments of life we mm-hmm. get stuck in childhood or we get stuck in adolescence mm-hmm. or we get or films about maturity or old age and this is about kind of life from the perspective of eternity yeah um it, it's interesting with this film because I would say its dominant theme is one of healing Mm. in the midst of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, And I compare it to Malick's, to me, his other great masterpiece, which is The Thin Red Line. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, Luke, we were saying that we both really like that film, and both are amazing. But the thing that's interesting to me about The Thin Red Line is it also has the nature-grace parallel. And in Mm -hmm. that film, because it's a World War II film, nature is just blood and gore mm-hmm. and anger and violence and profanity in a lot of situations. And then you have Jim Caviezel in his breakout role, who kind of is the Jessica Chastain figure mm-hmm. in Thin Red Line. Mystic. Uh-huh. But what he uh, sees in Thin Red Line is the joy of these island children, mm-hmm. you know, that he interacts mm-hmm. with. And that, uh, I like Thin Red Line in this sense, uh, Almost not more than Tree of Life. They're they both do different it's, it's things. It's very different. It's very different. But but with Thin Red Line, I think you see something that Tree of Life only touches on, which is the just the joy of innocence, the joy of the heavenly reality, the mm-hmm. fact that beyond the chaos of World War II, there is this other world, and mm-hmm. that in this world, it's not just about healing, it's not just about redemption, it's joy. Mm-hmm. That there's this untouchable joy that exists and that you just have to reach up and that that joy could penetrate your heart in the middle of a battlefield, right. mm-hmm. um, which is what Jim Caviezel yeah. 
is. Yeah. Um, so I, in, I can't think of any other filmmaker that can tap into those feelings because it really is numinous, like yeah. the, the meaning is, of that yeah. old word, mm-hmm. numinous, you know, which is the Latin derived word. It's like actually, in the presence of well, the it, divine. You know, pneuma actually goes back to Greek. Oh. It's Greek for spirit. And so like okay. numinous. Yeah. God, it moved into Latin. But right. Yeah. Yeah. That thing, right, that part right there for me, which I don't know, maybe this is, maybe this is my moral takeaway of it, is that when I, when I watch this movie, I, I kind of see it as God's ultimate plan, like mm-hmm. as even, even deeper than a plan, like his will, like what mm-hmm. he wants more than anything mm-hmm. is that, that healing, like, and you know, it, it obviously he, he has a plan, but it's it's deeper than that. It's like what he wants more than anything mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. is that relationship and that healing, even though throughout life there's going to be a lot of turmoil, mm-hmm. but that's a result of, you know, our choices as mm-hmm. humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah. And, and you made a comment about it earlier about the, um, or maybe, I don't know, you said about the eternal view of life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just every day waking up doing this. It's like looking at life from a eternal perspective, mm-hmm. which I think is something that I don't know if anyone really does or if they say they do, they... But none of us do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. not all the time, hope, but it's like to stop. I, I think that's yeah. what this movie, like for, you know, two and a half hours, it's like life from a you know, eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's really it's really amazing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and it really brings you closer to that feeling of God really wants mm-hmm. the grace and the healing mm-hmm. that comes with a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I get most out of it when I, you know, when I watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, um, yeah. My- oh, also what not to do as a father. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. Don't, uh, don't uh, shame your kids. Um, no. no, the the takeaway I think. Well, I mean, there's so many things to there's take so away many from a from, from a movie like Tree of Life. You know, I think the thing that Malik grasps in his films is the power of contemplation. Mm. Um, you know, Aquinas, and this goes back to like Aristotle, but then in a lot of Christian philosophy the idea of the ultimate happiness was contemplating the divine. That yeah. at the end of all things, when we enter heaven, we're just going to look on God and yeah. nothing else will equal that, right? Like we'll never look away from God right. because God will be, in a way, everything we ever loved about anything was God. So yeah. so when you see the the real thing, all the shadows will fade. Mm. So, but when you, but to contemplate then, because what are you doing when you're looking at God? You're just going to contemplate him. And what Malik does is he says, how can I show God in things mm-hmm. as much as possible? And through contrast, right, by showing evil mm-hmm. and then the good, you know, but mm-hmm. also through wonder and creation and, mm-hmm. and, um, and he grasps... Visual the, beauty. Yeah, visual beauty. And he mm-hmm. grasps the power of that. Yeah. Um, there's a, a really interesting thought in the writings of Dietrich von Hildebrand, who was a 20th century... Christian philosopher, and he talked about three kinds of beauty. He said that there was basically uh, sensory beauty, you know, like, oh, I, you know, this is a pretty color or this is a nice texture. Mm-hmm. And then you had um, metaphysical beauty, like spiritual beauty, and that was 
just the beauty that something exists, that, yeah. that it, it, it's great that things exist and, mm-hmm. and, and have a purpose. Um, but then there's this in-between beauty where the spiritual beauty and the physical beauty meet, mm-hmm. and that's when you are transported by a symphony or yeah. by a landscape or mm-hmm. something. And it's like the spiritual beauty that you can only really perceive at other times through your intellect. Like just intellectually, I kind of know that it's good for things to exist and for people to be here and for things mm-hmm. to be happening. But suddenly that spiritual beauty enters into the material realm and you feel it. Yeah. You don't just think it, you mm-hmm. feel it. And you feel it in the music or in the landscape. And Malik, I think, is the very greatest filmmaker at finding mm-hmm. that yeah. beauty and just throwing it at you like yeah. this tsunami yeah. of beauty uh, and that and that it's it kind of is a sanctifying beauty because mm-hmm. yeah. it makes you feel uh, cleaner at the end you know purified yeah, right. mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah um, yeah it's but, true true catharsis yeah. yeah well that's no those are those are really good and i i guess for me i would i would bring it back to uh, my moral of the story being that example of life lived under the law of nature or the law of grace mm-hmm. you know and and the impulse that we have to struggle and fight for our own glory, mm-hmm. which is what the father is fighting for, right? Mm-hmm. He, he has these dreams of glory that that the world doesn't give him and he doesn't get, whereas the mother comes in and, and ultimately has to surrender everything, you know, and mm-hmm. what you don't surrender will be taken away. Mm-hmm. That we can voluntarily surrender those th- the things that are most precious to us, um, and by surrendering them, we gain them back. Um, and that I think is, is just a, a incredibly powerful spiritual mm-hmm. truth yeah. that Malik yeah. shows. It's also very impactful to think, or you know, to think about the fact that it's. I think it's interesting that it's nature and grace, meaning nature. It's what comes natural to us, mm-hmm. so that. That law, that anger, that—that's—that's mm-hmm. that's what naturally mm-hmm. just comes to us as as humans, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then that grace, that you know, that mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. that comes through that mother figure. That's what—that's yeah. what God wants for us. Mm-hmm. But we have to continually fight against what mm-hmm. naturally comes to us. Yeah, no, which that's is true. which is something that you have to fight every single day. Yeah, because right. naturally you're going to default back to. Mm-hmm what you are and yeah. what you are mm-hmm. is a judgmental, angry, yeah. Yeah. Like human. That, yeah, that's very true. And the, the last thing I'll, I'll add is um, kind of launching off what you talked about, Ben. Um, I think Malik's greatest achievement in this film is um, I guess uh, we're talking about um, theology and, and the theology of um, affirmation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's in Christian uh, hermetic and, uh, kind of mystic tradition, there's uh, what you call apophatic theology, which is rooted in the scriptures where um, it says Yahweh was not in the storm, he was not in the cloud, he was not mm-hmm. in the thunder, but it's in the still small voice, that passage. And there's a whole tradition of, of sort of the way of negation, it's called, where we say what God is not. Mm-hmm. You know, that God is not like anything on the world. He's he's ultimately ineffable and, and something Other, we can't yeah. we can't grasp, you know, in our intellect. But then um, there's a 
on another side, a tradition of the way of beatitude or the way of affirmation of saying God is in the things we love, the beauty we see in creation comes from God, that everything good that we have comes from God. And I think Malik is, as a filmmaker, building on that tradition of affirming what of God we see in everyday life and in the physical world, um, which will bring us to uh, another brilliant uh, purveyor of the way of affirmation was Dante Alighieri, Mm-hmm. who you mentioned briefly, and um, is our book of the week pick mm-hmm. for our audible.com program. Um, so if you guys are listening, uh, you can support the show by getting yourself a free audiobook, which is the best thing ever. If you visit the link in the show description, you can get a free audiobook. And our recommendation is that you get a really great reading of Dante's English. Divine Comedy. It's an English prose yes. translation by Heathcote Williams. Yes, who so is there's a, a, d- there's a bunch on there, so yeah, look for yeah, translations. But, but look for Heathcote Williams, mm-hmm. H-E-A-T-H-C-O-T-E Williams. His reading of it's, it, yeah. It's a beautiful prose translation mm-hmm. of um, the Purgatorio is... Yeah, I, everybody. I mean, all that's of Dante's yeah. divine you, comedy is whole beloved, thing, but I think yeah, you're gonna the be, Purgatory yeah. is the one that's most beloved because it's kind of based on Earth. Like it's it's the most human. Yeah, when you get to the paradise, Inferno it's like, is it's like it's so ethereal that it's like mind blowing. Yeah, and yeah. then Inferno is like ooh, that's yeah. really nasty, creepy, yeah. creepy. But Purgatorio is you know it's the human struggle, a right? More soul, the human struggle for it. sanctification. Yeah. But yeah. the uh, but. Um, it has beautiful Renaissance interludes, and, mm-hmm. and it's just a joy to listen to. Yeah. So, if you yeah. get a book, you need to find Penguin publishes a translation of the whole Divine Comedy by Dorothy Sayers, and there's not an audio version of that. But if you want to read it, highly recommend Dorothy Sayers' translation of the Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, she learned Italian just to translate it. Oh, really? And didn't wow. Longfellow do the same thing? Longfellow he, he did a learned, translation. He, he learned did. Italian just mm-hmm. to learn it. Wow, yeah. that's and that And that tells you something, because C.S. Lewis, I think he said at one point that Dante was the greatest thing in literature. Which he when is. C.S. Lewis says that Dante is the greatest thing in literature, you have to take that very seriously. <laughs> Everyone should check out this movie. Yes, um, go absolutely, watch it. 100%. Don't, don't make the mistake I did and start it at 11 o'clock at night. You will regret it. <laughs> yeah. You will fall asleep and be awoken by... Eat a good dinner and then yeah. start at 6 p.m. Yeah. And, you know. and maybe so. have a cup of decaf. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. So Not to be Highly missed. recommended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Highly recommended. Yep. Six thumbs up. That's our six thumbs right, up. Six thumbs up. That's our, our universal <laughs> affirmation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Thank yeah, you guys so, for thanks for, for listening. listening this episode. Yeah, uh, share it with your friends, family, enemies. Share the tree of life with your enemies. Yeah, because they might not be your enemies exactly. anymore. Exactly. That's right. But also, Change it really it helps the show if wherever you guys are listening, you could give us uh, positive reviews, uh, comment, and tell us what you think. You can actually email us at mm-hmm. contact at moral of the story podcast. Dot com yes. and let us know what you think of the show recommend movies that mm-hmm. you would like us to talk about and yeah we really thank you guys for listening we'll see you next time the moral of the story with alex wolliver luke taylor and benjamin wolliver please subscribe to the moral of the story on apple podcasts youtube or wherever you listen 
visit moralofthestorypodcast.com. Copyright 2019 Moral of the Story Media.